Welcome to the Unapologetically Fueled podcast, where we talk nutrition, identity, performance, and the psychology behind it all. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. I'm super excited today. I have a really special guest. I have Alexa, or you might know her as Recovery for Try on Instagram. She is just so awesome and such an inspiration to so many on social media and just is super resilient and positive influence here. So if you wouldn't mind, could you introduce yourself? Hi. My name is Alexa Hoppenfeld. You may know me on Instagram as Recovery for Try or Alexa Hoppenfeld. Um, Yeah, I'm going to be a senior in high school, so I'm really excited for that. And I just, I love doing triathlons. I love running and I love spending time with my friends and my family and my two poodles, obviously. Two poodles. I love it. That's so cool. You're like the ultra endurance athlete. Like. (laughs) Someday you'll be like running ultras and I'll be like, oh my gosh. Yep. That's Alexa. Maybe one day. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for introducing yourself. Yeah. You are such a great athlete and um, it's really cool to see how talented you are. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. So if you wouldn't mind kind of um, switching gears a little bit, if you would, wouldn't mind sharing a little bit of your story as much as, or as little as you feel comfortable doing just kind of your story with feeling and athletics and how you became involved in this sport in this world and community? Yeah. So I started doing triathlon specifically when I was five years old. My mom put me through all of the sports when I was little, like just to find what we liked. And I started doing triathlons when I was five and really focused on them at age 12. I was doing like seven sports up to then. And I wasn't necessarily the best, I would say, but it's always been such a huge part of my life. I just fell in love with them and running and I've, it's just been such a huge part of my identity and my life. And mm-hmm. when um, I got to middle school, I was never like the best runner or never the best triathlete. I just loved it. And I loved getting better. And when you hit middle school, you kind of start hitting puberty mm-hmm. and um, your body changes. It's meant to change, but my body did change. I did gain weight and I always had a very healthy relationship with food. I ate a lot. Like I have two brothers. I ate like my brothers and then my body did start changing. And my, I don't want to say just my brothers, but outside influences and they would tease me for my body and what it looked like and how much I ate. And when things are said to you enough, it kind of, it gets you to a point where you can ignore it for so long. And I did, I ignored it for so long. And then I just started to think, oh, maybe I should change the way I eat. Maybe I should, maybe this will make me a better athlete. And this was fall of my eighth grade year. I had just turned 14. Mm -hmm. And so I just started eating healthier. And as most things do, this just kind of it all started with, you know, my fitness pal, the one that, that <laughs> crazy thing. And it Not kind funny. of just spiraled out of control from there. I really lost myself in that year of eighth grade. I just became so obsessed with numbers and what I was putting in my body and what I was not putting in my body and just doing as much workload as possible that 
I lost my love for the sport and I lost who I was. I lost my friendships. And so on last day of eighth grade, the final day of school, I ended up being admitted into inpatient over the summer. And this honestly saved me. Like what got me out of there, I went in, I'm a very competitive person, just saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get out of here. I am going to be the fastest one they've seen out here. If even if if I can't race this summer, I'm going to race to get out of here. And so I I finished every single meal there. It's really what kind of made me realize why I wanted to recover and Mm. how I wanted to, and like what was pushing me to. And through taking a break and through taking the summer off from doing um, activity. Oh, my dogs are barking. um, I was able to find my love of triathlon again. And then I did get out and I was able to exercise again. And it was a very slow process But four weeks later, I ended up doing, I ended up going to nationals and doing the best I had ever done, having the best race I've ever had, not only because I was fueled, but because I was so mentally, I was there to have fun and I was excited to have fun. And that was um, going into high school. And now, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to be a senior. Time has really flown. But so throughout the past three years, it's been a series of just ups and downs, you know. Sometimes um, I get in my head, but I've always gotten out of it because I always, I always just remember that why I'm doing this. I want to be the best athlete I can be. I want to be the best Alexa I can be. And that's just kind of what I focus on. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. My dogs are going crazy back there. It's okay. Don't apologize. We have lots of dog sounds on this podcast. (laughs) They probably see a deer or something, but (laughs) I love that. You know, since then I've kind of made not like a name for myself, but I've learned how to race and how to train just in a way that makes me happy. And I love racing now and just knowing that I'm fueled to be strong and fueled to be happy. And I can go out there and smile and just love what I'm doing without focusing on what it is or is not doing to my body. I literally have goosebumps right now. Like, oh, you said that so beautifully. Like, oh my gosh. (laughs) Like, it just like came full circle. Like when you were a kid, I love how you started triathlons because you loved it. And that was truly your passion. And like, it is hard hearing those words from people, especially in middle school and high school when like during that time of your life, you're especially concerned about what people think because, you know, you're figuring out who you are and like your body's going through all these changes. And so like, no wonder those words got to you. I mean, that's, I mean, that's what happens. And it's just like, and it's really hard to get out of that. And so I love how you went in to inpatient being like, I'm going to be the fastest one out of here because a lot of people go in and they're just like, you know, they're not ready and they don't want it as much. And they don't make that progress and they don't get to race at nationals a little bit later and do the best they ever have. So it's just so awesome how motivated you were and how you really just found that love again for your sport, because like, that's what true recovery is and just finding out what your values are and your, that's just so awesome. Thank you. I honestly, I was not ready. Like I went into inpatient by force. I was not listening to anyone around me. Like Mm-hmm. The eating disorder just takes such control of your brain that mm-hmm. I just thought all of my doctors, I thought everyone was lying to me. I was so, mm-hmm. and I'm forever grateful for my parents and my team of doctors because they truly saved my life. My mom dealt with me at my worst. She kept, continued forcing me. She continues forcing me to this day, like making sure I'm on it if I
And it was so difficult. Like I can't, you will never fully be ready. It's just, you're not going to be ready to recover because your mind's never going to let you. But every time that you overcome those fears and those scary things, it gets easier. So the first, the first few days of anything, like it was so terrifying and it's so hard to do everything that in your mind is saying is wrong, but I could not have done it on my own. And so I'm so grateful that I was forced to do it because every day just got easier. And I was able to just see what I could accomplish once I was out. And I had the best support system, like my family, my teammates came every day, my coaches came Mm -hmm. and just seeing them race all summer and me like being in a place, just, it really just pushed me to do the hard things. Yeah, absolutely. There's so much good in that. Like you are never going to be fully ready. I'll never be ready. I can tell you that. (laughs) Yeah. And some days it is like, and some days when you're faced with those hardships too, you're like, oh my gosh, like this seems like, you know, overwhelming. And I don't seem ready to face this, but like how you still fought past that hardship and you continue to fight. And that's just so inspirational and just like really that social support is super important too. So that's awesome that your mom was such a great support and still is to this day. (laughs) She's really my rock. She, I could not do any of it without her or just, yeah, any of the positive influences in my life. Oh, that's so sweet. Doesn't she make you really good? Like pork pulled pork oh my gosh she makes me just the best food all the time like I'm so grateful she makes the best food and I just I'm so thankful for that and it also that also like helped with everything because Mm -hmm. you just it's good to give up control like I I was so I felt so bad she would be cooking and I'd be like what are you putting in that how much are you putting what are you doing I'm not eating that and I wouldn't eat her amazing food but when you give up control to someone it just makes it so much easier like some days if I'm struggling I'm just like okay you plate my meal okay you choose what I'm eating you do it you got it because she knows what's best and exactly it's common sense it's like it's your child like ever since day one she was feeding you so it's like it's very intuitive at that point yeah and she makes good food why would I be afraid of it sometimes like I'll be in the kitchen she's like nope get out you don't get to see what's going into this it doesn't matter it tastes good yeah I love because it doesn't matter no it really does not like your body knows what to do with everything so that's that's really cool I love her mindset around that because some parents really don't understand that whole process and they will unintentionally be like oh yeah you can see you can help out when really Mm -hmm. don't understand what's best for the child sometimes is like saying oh no you don't get to see like it'll taste good and it'll nourish your body regardless exactly all body all bodies all food is recognized the same whether it's an apple whether it's a Mm -hmm. like cookie all energy is recognized in your body the same exactly absolutely I love it a couple weeks ago (laughs) I had a brownie before my run and it worked beautifully oh my (laughs) goodness yes best run ever (laughs) literally when I wake up and have cake for breakfast I remember one time I had like cake with my lunch at school because someone brought us cake best run of my life yes right it's the best (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome that's so cool um so you kind of talked about how like when you were a kid you really didn't care about what you ate you ate a lot because you had brothers and stuff and it was just you know very intuitive at that point and I feel like most people who do develop eating disorders in high school, middle school, college, um, 
it was the same as a kid. Like when I was a kid, I was the same way. I was like, you know, mac and cheese, three meals a day, like just snacking on potato chips all day, like not caring or anything. And then obviously things when people do develop eating disorders, it changes a little bit, but I guess since you were also involved in sports, since you were five years old, did you notice a change in your performance at all between feeling as you did as a kid versus when you started underfeeling versus now? And I know you said now you have so much more energy and it's beautiful. Um, but yeah, what was, did you notice a difference initially? Yeah. So when I was little, I was fueling myself with a lot of food. And I mean, back then I wasn't as focused on my performance. I was never the best. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really know how fueling impacted me then, but I do know once I did start restricting and keep in mind, I was still eating. I never skipped a meal. I never skipped a snack even, Mm -hmm. but as an athlete and as a person, your energy demands are so high that even if you're not skipping meals, even if you're not starving yourself completely, those, even just the slightest restriction mentally and physically will mess you up. So I was fueling, but I was not eating enough. And I was very stuck on, I have to eat clean. I have to eat non-processed whole foods, no oil. And I will never forget. So one I couldn't focus during workouts. I couldn't feel strong because I was always cold. I had no energy. I couldn't, some days it felt like I couldn't move, but I still forced myself to. And I'll never forget this one race. So I was in the first race of the year. This is when it was kind of getting bad. I got sixth place at this huge triathlon. It was like the Patco championships. And two months later, I had another triathlon in Virginia. This was in May of my eighth grade year. And just the second the gun went off in the swim, I just remember feeling like I couldn't move. It felt like my arms and legs couldn't propel me forward. And I found myself just at the back. And my coach says that it looks, it looked like I had a parachute on my back because just sending me backwards because I had no energy in my body to do what I could do and what I should have been able to do. And to this day, whenever I say I unintentionally underfuel, there's been points in my life, like recovery is not linear. There will be points in the peak of track season and school where I will unintentionally under fuel. And I know this because I will start to feel like I have no energy left Yeah, and I don't want to be starting runs and starting training, feeling like I have nothing in my tank mm-hmm. because then you just can't perform at your best. I found that after five weeks of weight restoring, no exercise, I felt stronger and more ener- energized and faster in my performance than I did when I was training every day. That's mm-hmm. just the impact that fueling has on you. And Like now I feel so much better and stronger when I'm well-fueled and well-fed. Like the day before me, it's like not doing anything, but I'm just packing in food, eating as much as I can, because I know that's what's going to give me energy for the next day, for the next day's race. Because today's fuels, I mean, today's food is tomorrow's fuel. And every day, that's just it. And it's just so like, I just find that when you underfuel, you can't perform at your best and you can't love the sport either. And if you're not having fun and loving it, then why are you doing it? There's no point. Yes. 
Exactly. Preach it. Today's food is tomorrow's meal. I love that. <laughs> and it's so, it is honestly a huge difference when you notice like how good you feel during workouts, like when you're fueled versus when you're underfueled. Like I know there, I forget who said this, but it was like, you don't really know like how bad you are feeling until you realize how good you feel. Yes, like, that is so true right? It's awesome. And like, there's such a huge mentality about, you know, like thinner equals faster and that's so stupid. Um, and it's like, no, actually fueled equals faster. Like if you ask any athlete, they will probably tell you that they got much faster or much stronger when they actually were fueling themselves. And it's just, yeah, exactly. Like a big part of my eating disorder was just looking on the line and seeing that I didn't look the same way Mm -hmm. everyone else does. And I still don't. I've been born looking differently than a lot of runners do. Like I've been looked at and people look at me and they go, she doesn't look like a runner. And because like, you know, my legs are different. My body composition is different and that's okay. And I don't think that there's a certain way a runner is supposed to look because I realized that when I did look like a runner, I couldn't run like a runner. I couldn't move like a runner. And also, if you get yourself to that point, you were so much more um, at risk of injury. Like I don't, I have been able, knock on wood, to just avoid being injured throughout high school because mm-hmm. when you're well fueled and when you're eating enough for your needs, then your bones and your body are at less risk of breaking down, and also like from overtraining and underfueling. Yeah, and so if looking like a runner comes at risk of not being able to do your sport. It's not about who's the smallest out there. It's about who's the fastest and you can't be fast. If you look the smallest sometimes. Exactly. Exactly. Like the Kenyans, like they are the best runners in the entire world, literally. And they are so strong and they are fueling throughout their marathons and their races. And it's like, it isn't about who looks the most like a runner like you said it's who wins the races and who runs the fastest and like you aren't going to consistently PR without having fuel because that's literally how your muscles contract and it's just like I hate how there's such like a stigma around like what you look like determines like what type of athlete you are because like there are such like stereotypical molds of like what a runner should look like but it's like no if you get on your running shoes and you run, you are a runner. It does not matter oh, yeah. what body size you are or like how you're built. Everybody's so uniquely built different. Everybody's genetic code is so different. And I've talked about this before, but like what makes us think that like our bodies who like that are genetically built different should be fueled the same way and will perform the same way. Like exactly. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. Like we're all built differently. We're all made up differently there's no point in thinking that it's like a one size fits all and how, even how fast or far you run doesn't determine if you're a runner. If you can put one foot in front of the other, you're a runner and you don't look at someone and go, Oh, she's already won the race because she's skinnier than me. It's about who crosses the finish line first is the best, but also whoever's on the starting line is a runner in itself as well. You don't have to look a certain way. You go to your local 5k and there's people of all shapes and sizes. And that's the beautiful thing about it. Exactly. Anybody can do it. Who's able. And it's a blessing to be even able to run in the first place, like have two working legs. So it's just, yeah, 
I think that there's too much of an emphasis on like the body and running and there should more be an emphasis on like you get to run and you are a runner and it's a beautiful thing and you're strong and no matter what you look like so your body has just no correlation to the type of runner that you are like there are girls out there that are six feet there's girls out there like me that are five feet and we're still equally deserving of being on the start line and exactly so when like coaches and people and diet culture and stigmas try and tell us what we have to look like to be a runner that's just wrong because I've seen people like I'll look at girls I'm like wow she's so strong she is strong Mm -hmm. and she is running it it's just it's an incredible thing it really is it's really cool to see and like I agree there's people of different heights and shapes and sizes on all sorts of starting lines and yeah I'm also five feet so I feel you everybody feels taller than me and I'm just like oh my gosh but it's like you know sometimes the shortest ones are the most powerful so (laughs) yeah it's like I don't (laughs) some people they're like oh you beat me like if someone says like oh you beat me in that like because you have longer legs as if you can control that just like you can't control your body size you can't control any of it exactly exactly yeah that's awesome (laughs) so when you started recovery then and we're in recovery did you kind of like have an I know we talked about kind of like you know, there wasn't like a time when you felt ready, but was there like an aha moment when you were like, okay, yeah, this is so worth it. Like I'm going to keep fighting for this. Yeah. It was definitely that first race back after being in residential Mm -hmm. where I just, it was like a breakthrough because I went and I was like, everyone told me, they're like, you haven't been training. You've been back for three weeks, four weeks don't expect anything. And I was like, you're right. I don't expect anything. I'm just going to go and I'm going to have fun and I'm going to enjoy what my body can do. And it's a blessing to be here. It's a blessing to be racing again. And I'm just going to go have fun. I don't care if I get last place, which is a mentality I never could have had before ever. Like just adopting that personality and that mentality is just, it's something everyone should do. And I got on the start line and I raced and I had the biggest smile on my face the entire time. Every picture, I have them all. They're my favorite. I was just grinning ear to ear, just happy to be there. I was not focused on my body, not focused on eating, not focused on calories. I was just so happy to be doing what I loved. And I ended up getting eighth in the nation and earning my spot to go to the Olympic training center that fall, just with the biggest smile on my face the whole time. And that was just like such an amazing moment. And just every moment after that, just to be on the start line healthy and just hitting PRs one after the other and one after the other, it's like, wow, when I'm fueling myself, I can go fast. And especially this past track season, I've hit times and been presented with more opportunities than I've ever been before and it's been the first time in my life where I'm like wow I have I can actually be good at something and I've worked hard for this and my body has let me do these amazing things and despite the demonization eating more has made me faster being lighter and has not made me like faster being at a heavier weight and being strong has made me be able to accomplish things I had only ever dreamed about. And that is just a beautiful thing that pushes me forward every day. 
That is so beautiful. I love that. It's really cool to just see how you're like you can actually see its effects on your performance and your mood and just your joy of it again because like you can just like focus in the moment on your race or your training and you're not thinking about like oh my gosh like I'm running and then I get food after this or like what am I going to eat you're thinking of like okay like you've got this like keep pushing like you're thinking about training and it's just it's cool and not even that just when you're under fueling it just impacts so many parts of your brain yeah like I would go through my day and I know when I'm under fueling because I start feeling more anxious I feel sad Mm -hmm. I feel like horrible and I just feel really sad and I would be on the start line with so many nerves and so much anxiety that I ruined the whole experience for me like I know when like this past February and March was a really rough time for me. And I just felt so anxious, so sad, so defeated all the time and eating more and just kind of just brought back a life in me. And I found toward the end of the season, this was like champ, like region sectional state. Yeah, I'm just on the start line, just biggest smile on my face with confidence in my racing, like the pictures from this past weekend, like I'm just on the start line, just smiling ear to ear just so happy to be there it just makes you so much less anxious and brings so much back like joy back to my life like I what I say is like I have Alexa back like I mm-hmm. was able to get Alexa back because my Alexa like not my robot Alexa but <laughs> I lost her and sometimes I lose her but then when I get her back I remember why I want her to stay yeah Oh, that is so beautiful. Yeah. It's like you, that just like shows how much like an eating disorder is not you. It's something else. And like when it takes over you, Alexa, it's not you like you notice a difference and true Alexa's in there all the time. And I love how you can like literally see that like, oh my gosh, I'm going to pull her out. Like I know how to get her back and I that's really that's awesome yeah it's it's taken a lot of work though obviously years of working hard and therapy and support around me because I I can see like when girls are struggling I know it's not them I know what they're going through and I can tell you that like one it's not their fault like if you're out there and you're struggling it's not your fault I know how difficult it is I couldn't do it on my own it has this grasp around you and it just, it convinces you that everyone and everything is lying and that it's right, but it's not. And so like, I can look at anyone out there struggling and tell you it's not your fault and you're not, it's hard and it's okay to ask for help, but also the eating disorder and what it's telling you it's wrong. And you're probably not going to believe me, but it's wrong. And once you start to fight it, the more the quieter it gets, like the more you hurt it and the more you go against it and do the exact opposite of what it says, the more it dies. And then you can start to see yourself again, just emerge from that dark darkness. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. The more you fight it, the more it dies. It's true. And it's like neuroscientifically like supported too. Like your brain actually wires differently when you like fight against the voice and it literally changes the neural pathways. It's called neuroplasticity. And it's just like amazing at like how, like you can see physical changes in your brain when you push against those voices. And it's like, it's really cool. Yeah. Like the brain fog just clears. Oh my God. You can focus on school and think 
about anything other than food, it's, it's beautiful. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It's so beautiful. <laughs> That's cool. So since like you've kind of talked about a little bit how people, you know, would ask you questions about like recovering stuff and there are other people struggling that you see. Do you think that diet culture is still really prevalent in like today's athletes and like teammates maybe, or just like in general or people at school and just like, how do you navigate that diet mentality as a talented athlete? And if people are, you know, struggling around you or talking about it around you? I think that while the page is turning, while things are changing, I think the world is definitely becoming more accepting and aware of eating disorders, especially through the quarantine. But I I think diet culture is still a very prevalent part of sports. Like you go on to TikTok and you see girls restricting, girls promoting diets. And for me, when I was a freshman, this was right before quarantine, the hardest thing for me was comparing because I would look at others and see I'm eating more than them. Like at lunch, I'd be like, I'm eating more than them. I'm eating more than my brothers. I'm eating more than my dad. Why me? Why do I have to? Why does no one else have to? But when I learned to focus on my own plate and my own body, that's when things started to change for me. And it's obviously so hard, but you need to realize that your body's needs are individual and you are your own person. Your needs may be higher than another person's. And that's not your place to judge others. Focus on yourself. And then also something is like, when you see on TikTok, people documenting their food and um, on Instagram. What I've tried to keep in mind, and this has changed so much for me, is that people with a healthy relationship with food, they don't think to document their food. So Mm -hmm. while you are seeing this one side of TikTok or Instagram of people document small portions of food, only healthy, you're missing the whole world of people who have such healthy mindsets with food that they don't think about that. So they are probably eating the same amount of you as you, they are probably doing what's best for you. And, but you don't see that because you're only seeing what's on social media and what people are choosing to document. Like even on my Instagram page, my TikTok, I will never post a full day of eating. I would never even think to, because I'm constantly like, what it's 7 40 PM right before this call, I was eating cheddar bugles just eating them while I was watching TikTok. And I'm not going to think to whip out my phone and take a picture of that or document how many, Yeah. but just know that there are people out there that are fueling themselves to be great and they're eating normally. And so the people on the internet, it's just not reality. No. And so you can't look at that and see. And then when people are talking about calories or talking about that stuff, I just kind of say, I just kind of look at them and I go, why does that matter? Food is fuel. It's all recognized the same. It's so easy for people to think, Like their mindset maybe is influenced by social media and influenced by diet culture. And every time you say, well, that's just not true. You're influencing them as well. And you're influencing yourself because it's not true. Exactly. Exactly. And even if they don't want to listen to it in the moment, you're planting the seed and that's what matters. So it's just like, it's like, okay, you can think this way about food. You can think this way about carbs, about what you're eating. You can say this is bad, but I'm still going to eat it. And I'm perfectly fine. I eat this all the time. And look at me. Like, I don't like when people like they, they, they will like comment on my posts or my eating and be like, I don't know how you eat this, or I'm scared of this. It's like, first of all, saying you're scared of the thing I'm eating. How do you think that makes me feel? But second, I'm eating it and I'm fine. So why can't you? 
Exactly. Easy. And look at your best friend. Look at your parents. If they're eating this food and they're okay, they're alive. Why can't you? You're not, you're not different. It's not going to hurt you. And it's, if it's not hurting other people. Yes. I love that. It's like, just see, like, look at what other people are. I mean, don't look at that and like copy them, but I'm saying like, if you're scared of something, like look at the people around you. That is so awesome. So you talked a little bit about like what you do when like people make comments and stuff and just like how you navigate the diet culture in athletics, but also how do you navigate it at school? Would you say that it's kind of big at school or would you say that it's pretty much the same and you kind of just like go about it the same way, which is great. Yeah. I mentioned that something I really used to struggle with was eating at school that was probably the hardest thing for me just seeing everyone around me um Mm -hmm. what I've done is one I've surrounded myself with people who are going to fuel that's a big part I'm not going to surround myself with people who under fuel or like talk about fueling in a negative way but also I just keep in mind that we're on different paths like One, I'm an endurance athlete and I'm also in recovery. These people are not in recovery and they're not endurance athletes. My needs are higher than them. I also think Mm -hmm. there was a time where I restricted where they were eating normally. Mm -hmm. So I have a lot to make up for. So my energy needs are going to be higher because I'm making up for what I lost. They have eaten normally. And also you're never going to see the full picture. I don't know what they're eating before or after lunch. I don't know what they're eating at other times of the day. And honestly, that's not my business. So it's just, you got to focus on yourself because you don't know the full story. You don't know what they ate last class or before. And yeah, you never know what's going on. Sure. They may be struggling. They may be, but you also need to put your recovery first. Absolutely. Just really just focusing on yourself. is like, Mm -hmm. and what you know, you need to succeed. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's awesome. It's just like, I mean, a lot of people, when they reach out for advice about that, I just say, you know, like eyes on your own plate and they're like, really like everybody's so different. And like, we all have different needs and different energy and it's just, yeah, just focusing on your body, your needs, like your body, your needs. But obviously that took me so long to get to that point. For sure. I was, I know a lot of people their eating disorders stemmed from quarantine. Yeah. Since I struggled before quarantine was like, I was in a, I was struggling when it started and I was so stressed when it began, but it honestly helped me heal because I could focus on eating and I could eat without anyone looking at me. And then going back to school was very difficult because I had struggled with comparison before quarantine started and going back, I was like, I'm going to be the only one eating again. This mm-hmm. is going to be so difficult. This could be so hard, but you know, just like we said before, the more you challenge it, the more, the easier it gets. So the more you do it, the more you overcome, the easier it is because you know that you're doing what's right. And if it doesn't challenge you, it does not change you. Exactly. There are so many good quotes in this. I should just yeah. like, start making like a list of like literally like if it, if it doesn't challenge you then no change is happening challenges are good exactly exactly oh that's awesome all these good quotes I'm gonna have to <laughs> remember them in my brain go back I'll be like what should the title be no challenge no change <laughs> oh that's cool so how would you say that other than like finding that joy again for sports and stuff, your relationship with exercise has changed throughout from when you were a kid to now. And like, did you ever struggle with 
um, kind of feeling compulsed to exercise or like, how did you overcome that? And what advice would you give people who are struggling with that? I definitely struggled with overexercise. And then I've also struggled as a runner with comparing myself to other people's levels yeah. of exercise. For sure, for sure. But what I've learned is that rest is just as productive as doing something. First of all, when you're in recovery, like your body is doing so much to heal from the inside and out that there is no space for exercise. I had to take a long break from exercise because your body is doing so much to heal you and it is working in overtime. There is no space to be burning that off because your body's already going through so much trying to heal. And then once you have, when exercising, you're not exercising to eat. You're eating to exercise. You're fueling your performance. It doesn't matter how much you're doing or what you're doing. You're not... I've learned not to use it as punishment and not to use it as a reason to eat. I've learned that I'm doing this so I can be successful. And that has been so hard for me to learn, but it is so important because food and exercise shouldn't be dependent on each other, if that makes sense. Absolutely. But um, it definitely was hard, but I had to learn that rest is very productive and Rest days, especially it's when your muscles and your body is healing from the hard pounding and impact and work and your body is still working hard on those rest days and you still need just as much fuel when you're doing that. And even if you're not, you don't need to exercise to eat. I don't want to come on here and say that I'm only eating this much because I'm an athlete because even if I wasn't an athlete, I would still need this much. And that's a good thing. And even if you're not exercising, even if you're on a break, you still need to feel yourself. Exactly. But yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. No, that's great advice. It really is like you need to eat in order to have energy to not only live, like breathe and hear and see and just do everything that your body requires of you, but also to exercise. Like you don't want to deplete your body of the necessary energy it needs to live and that's so different for everybody and it just yeah yeah I, I would say though my biggest word of advice is just when I'm not exercising or when I'm on rest days or when I'm on breaks I do another I do something else that gives me joy and distracts me so if it's a school day I'll focus on catching up on my homework or reading a good book or I'll spend time with my family and friends. I'll make plans with my friends. And especially on days where I need to be sedentary, I'll say, hey, let's go see a movie. Let's watch yeah. my favorite movie. I don't really like to be alone on rest days because then I find I'll get in my head. For sure, for sure. So I like to make plans and stay busy. And, you know, some days when you're doing a sport, it's hard to find time for your friends and your family. And that's also just such an important part of life. So to make plans with those people and prioritize them on days where you don't need to prioritize your training is super important. And that's what I find helps me on rest days. Yes, absolutely. That's so great. Just finding other parts of your life and your identity that don't revolve around exercise is so great. And it's just like, yeah. if you put all your identity in exercise and then 
if, if you get like injured or something or you can't exercise and like where's your identity gonna go exactly passion gonna go so like when I went inpatient I just thought I was losing this huge part of me I said what am I I, I just continue to say what am I I'm nothing without the sport you can't take my sport away from me because mm-hmm. then what's left but your sport is only a small part of you. And I had to realize that people don't just like me or be around me. And I am not me because of my sport. There's so much more. And I had to find things that I love because what if this sport gets stripped away from me? What if something happens? What if mm-hmm. you need to have, find something? And that is so important is just find hobbies outside of your sport because your sport is not everything. For sure. Absolutely. You're a human before anything else. Yeah. You are a person before anything. Exactly. And your values there, like you are a human being and your value is not contingent on your productivity or your school or your sport. So yeah, that's great. Awesome. So in addition to like the exercise advice that you gave to listeners, I guess if there are some listeners out here who think that they might be struggling with underfueling right now, um, whether they're athletes or not, what is the biggest piece of advice you would give to people who maybe like, it doesn't really matter if you're athletes or non-athletes. Yeah. Or um, this is so niche, but like, don't be afraid to ask for help because yeah. these things are so hard to fight on your own. Do not feel ashamed for reaching out for help or support even by through me or your parents or a coach, because these things are so hard to fight alone. And that's the first step. And just to anyone out there, just know that like you are worthy of recovery. It doesn't matter what weight you're at. It doesn't matter if you've been to the hospital. It doesn't matter if you're an athlete, you are worthy of a healthy relationship with food. And it doesn't matter how long you've been struggling, how short you've been struggling. It's so hard to feel valid, especially when things are promoted that no one struggled with. Like take, for example, I never skipped a meal. I never skipped a snack. I was never considered underweight, but it's, um, it's your mind. So no matter what, you are worthy of recovery and you deserve it and it is worth it. As much as you think it might not be worth it, the hard things, the hard parts of recovery are going to be so worth it. And I can assure you of that. I love that. That is really good advice for sure. You. you are worth recovering no matter what. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Unconditionally. Unconditionally. Absolutely. <laughs> So what is a piece of advice now you'll give to your younger self? If you could look back in time, I know kind of a deep question, but like, oh my gosh, if I could, if I could like look back in time, I would tell myself one to trust the process. There's no point in trying to rush things like rush. Like when I was going through puberty, yeah. trying to change myself so fast because I was growing into a woman and I was growing into a person and your body is meant to change, but weight also fluctuates. Like be patient with that, let it happen. Mm-hmm. And then going through athletics, like just trust the process because results aren't going to come immediately. And in recovery, it's not all going to happen so fast. You're not going to recover immediately. It's a long road and you have to keep pushing even on the hardest days, even when it felt like an inpatient, when it felt like I couldn't eat anymore, or when I felt when I just looked in the mirror and just hated every part of me, 
just to keep going because you will come out of that dark place and your the weight will fluctuate. It will get easier. Your hunger goes back to normal. Mm-hmm. Things regulate and it will get better. So I would tell myself to just, I know it's hard right now. And I know you think it couldn't get worse, can't get worse, but the hard days are what makes the good days even better. Yes. That is such good advice. Wow. So many good words. You are so wise. (laughs) Oh, thank you. (laughs) Of course. Oh, that's awesome. What would you say the number one thing is that you learned it about yourself throughout recovery was? Hmm. That one's a hard one. Yeah. Recovery. (laughs) I learned that, um, hold on, let me think. I mean, I learned about myself, like innerly. Yeah, for sure. I've learned that I'm, this is one. I've learned that I am deserving and I like belong where I am. So like, it's so easy in sports and to never, I never have felt like I was good enough, never Mm -hmm. sick enough, never enough. And something that I've learned about myself is that I belong. And this is, this is what I try and tell people. Like, it is so easy to get on the start line or get somewhere and be like, I don't deserve to be here. Everyone else is so much better or so much faster, or they're so much farther in recovery, but you deserve to be there as much as anyone else. And you belong where you are and you belong and you fit in. And I just learned that I've, worked hard in recovery and I've worked hard in my sport and I have earned what I have like this is just I always I always would say to myself I don't deserve this like I didn't my parents don't deserve this when I had to go to treatment but like I I do like I like successes like I would be like I don't deserve this what did I do to deserve this like you do and it's I don't know how to explain it, but it's like, you are worthy of good things. You are worthy of where you are. You've worked hard and you shouldn't feel like you aren't enough ever because you are. Yes, exactly. So is what I'm hearing, like you recognized your worth. And yes, I was able to see my worth. And that's still something I'm learning. Like throughout the season, I would still get online and be like, I don't deserve to be among these fast girls. But then you have to look back and think, wait, I'm on the line with these fast girls. That means I am one of them as well, right? Exactly. exactly. And like, I'll look, I would look at the times and be like, I'm seated first. Like I'm supposed to get first, but I'm still not as fast as them. But it's like, you, you are. It's like still a little brain trying to tell you otherwise. Gosh, our silly little brains. They say some silly little things that they they do. Do not belong. (laughs) that's so awesome yes you are worthy and enough just the way you are and I think that's so great that you're able to like find that throughout this whole long and tough process for sure yeah that's beautiful so also what was your like inspiration behind your social media platform because you have a great social media platform and there are so many people that look up to you um so when did you start recovery for try what was your motivation has it kind of changed yeah that was kind of like 
So I remember it was like October of my freshman year and I had kind of relapsed again. And I, I had followed a couple like athletes and a couple recovery accounts. And I said, okay, I'm just gonna start this just to hold me accountable. I'm like, I'm committing to recovery today. I'm doing this and I'm gonna document it for myself. And it was a private account. It was just me, just me yeah. posting for myself. Uh-huh. And I don't remember when or why, but I just like, I made it not a private account anymore, but I didn't like promote it anywhere or anything. Yeah. And I just kind of started posting just, I love to write and I've always been a good writer my whole life. And I would just start yeah. writing my thoughts. I would start just spilling my thoughts, kind of like my own little diary. Mm-hmm. And it just started growing. And looking back, I can see, like, I would post my struggles. I would post when I was struggling. I would post everything in my brain. Mm-hmm. And then looking back, I would, I'm like, wow, why did I have those thoughts? Like, why was I scared of pasta I eat it every single day and just documenting the struggles made it easier also just because some days I'll be like I don't want to eat this for myself but I'm gonna eat it for my followers I'm gonna eat it for that person who needs it and that would also help me in the process and then it also made it so like people could support me but over time I'm trying to find an I myself outside of the platform which is why I don't post as much anymore. I post when words come to me and I don't force my, I don't put that pressure on myself because I like finding myself outside of my eating disorder because I'm so thankful to have gone through it. And I'm so thankful to have inspired others, but I don't want that to be a part of me forever. I don't want to be known as the girl with the eating disorder or the one who had an eating disorder. I want to it's so beautiful to me that I can meet new people and they never would have guessed or suspected that I had one. I used to want to scream it from the rooftops. Like I had an eating disorder. I have one because I thought that would make me feel validated. But now it's like, I can be a person and be a friend and be a teammate without being Alexa with an eating disorder. So over time I've kind of strayed away from that. And I do want to focus more on like, the running part and the triathlon part, because that's like who I am. And that's without being disordered. That's without being exercise addiction. And if that doesn't help people anymore, then that's okay. But yeah. So the part of me that recovery for try helps me so much through the process, but it is something that like, I don't think to take pictures of my food anymore and I don't want to, but it's something that is changing and evolving. And I, I, love helping people. And I love that my posts and my stories can help people, but it's not my main focus of life anymore. But I'm so thankful to have created a platform where people can feel safe and people can go back and look at my stories and see. And I'm so grateful to help people because that's all I want to do. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it really has helped so many people I know. And like, even though you're like changing it now a little bit, or like just shifting gears a little bit, because you know, you don't necessarily want to have that identity right now, like anymore is like, you know, the girl with the eating disorder, it's you're switching gears and your worries about it not helping people, it still will help people. And like, if you look back at how many people were helped from your account already, like that's what you're doing. And you're living that every day, even just by like having the joy that you have is helping others because they're like, oh, she has this joy in her heart. Like, what is she doing? And (laughs) it's helping people. And it's showing people that like you recognize your worth and it's helping other people recognize theirs. So 
Thank you so much. Yeah, of course. So since you love to help people so much, do you have like any dream career or like what you kind of want to do? You're heading into your senior year. Like, oh my goodness. I know it's like the question of the year, but (laughs) I used to, um, you know, back when I was like sick, I was like, oh, I want to be a nutritionist. But now I'm kind of like, "Mm, I don't know if I want that to be Mm -hmm. part of my life, but I do want to help people. I love helping people. I want to do something that impacts someone's life. So I'm kind of thinking about being a sports psychologist because I know that has helped me so much and I love psychology and I want, I know how bad like race anxiety and all that is. And I want to help people overcome that, but also, you know, if sports nutrition is something I want to inspire girls and boys and everyone to fuel themselves no matter what. So either that sports psychology or maybe sports management, Yeah, sports is always a big part of my life. So it's always I feel like that would be something I want to shift my life into, but for sure, things always change. That's what I've been learning is that things are constantly changing and every day I'm learning something new. So (laughs) absolutely love that. That's so cool. I think that'd be awesome. I think you'd be great sports psychologist, sports nutritionist, whatever you do. So that's really cool. Yeah, I know. I feel that I'm going into the psychology field and I'm like, I just took a sports psychology class this semester and it was the most interesting thing. And we learned all about, you know, like how to calm down your anxiety or all these like validated techniques. And I'm like, wow, this would be so cool as a career. So kudos to all those sports psych people. That's awesome. Yeah. So I kind of have these like fun closing questions that I ask all my guests and (laughs) I, one of them is just like, what is your average morning routine look like? Or like your ideal morning routine? And then what is your go-to breakfast food of all time? Okay. So I do like vlogs on TikTok if anyone's ever seen them, but like everyone knows. So I love just getting up and the mornings I feel like are me time. So I always like ride or swim in the morning. And if not, I'm up anyway. Like sometimes I don't, but I just like being up before the sun. Usually I'm up very early. My body just does that. And I just enjoy my coffee or my latte. And I just get to like sit with myself and be on my phone, like before the morning, before craziness gets out. And I kind of just chill with myself for a while, whether it be like doing an easy spin or sometimes swimming or just chilling at my desk I love to be up and just relax and study and like do whatever I need to do and then I get ready for the day and I always make breakfast I love peanut butter oatmeal like I love oatmeal with lots of peanut butter in it it's my favorite thing to have all the time (laughs) yeah it's so good or yogurt bowls or my mom makes pancakes Mm -hmm. and I love them but peanut oatmeal and peanut butter is just my go-to and I love that and then I usually you know go to school (laughs) with my twin brother oh that's awesome that's what my usual morning looks like right (laughs) I love that yeah if you guys want to go see it you can go watch her vlogs on TikTok (laughs) oh that's so fun (laughs) and I love the peanut butter oats like that is like my favorite combination of oats. oh my gosh so good never gets old nope absolutely I don't know why but it like never gets old ever I know people are like, they have fixations and they like move on. Like, no, it's been like four years still yeah. on it. Some days it gets like a little bit, but we, some days like we get like honey roasted peanut butter from Colorado or we get chocolate, honey roasted peanut mm-hmm. butter, you know, trying out the different nut butters. Yeah. Right. Or but it's always, 
the OG, the OG oats and nut butters. <laughs> so good. Okay. Cool. So if people wanted to connect with you, then would they DM you on Instagram or I can link your TikTok and Instagram down below. So we'll definitely do that. But yeah, my TikTok's not really like recovery based. It's just like for fun. But yeah, it. if they want to reach me, they can reach me on my recovery Instagram or my personal Instagram, really anything. Awesome. Sounds good. And I will link those two things below for all of you guys. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Thank you again, Alexa, for sharing your wisdom. And I'm sure everybody's going to be just overjoyed to hear you and hear all you have to share. Thank you.